chances are you're not going to be completely enlightened uh, next week, <laughs> you know, no matter what you do, though it could happen. So you take on the, you know, uh, you take on the work of, of becoming as well as possible. You know, wellness is the subtitle of this book. And and it's not just about physical wellness. Wellness has got uh, like eight dimensions to it, including spiritual and uh, mental and uh, physical and financial and all of that. So you call, your goal is, how can I cultivate wellness? How can I be as well as possible given my condition? Hey everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling, and uh, I have a, a wonderful old friend, and I haven't seen him in a long time. And we call him Balaram, but his official quote unquote name is George Pitagorsky. George, welcome. Balaram. Thanks, Raghu. Nice, nice Ramna. Yeah. yeah, we haven't seen each other in quite a while, and uh, we've known each other for a very, very long time. Uh, and I'm going to call you George, just so people, you know, they're able to find you a little bit better. That Sounds way, good. As right? opposed to Mr. Pitagorsky. Or yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> sir, as opposed to sir. sir. I want to call you Sir George. Sir George. That's good. Too. Um, yeah, so uh, there's a book that just, just came out, right, in the last couple yeah, of months? October. Yeah, October. October, The Peaceful yeah. Warrior's Path, Optimal Wellness Through Self-Aware Living. Now, somebody who might just pick that up would go, uh, think of it as uh, wellness, physical wellness, body wellness. And there is completely connectivity, mind, body, spirit, obviously, so that there's no doubt about that. Uh, but... Um, just say a little bit about, you know, you've been involved for many, many years in meditation practice and uh, you have been with some incredible teachers. Just give people a little hint as to where you've been these okay. decades since I've known you. Yeah, well, I've uh, had a, a long um, experience, a history with uh, uh, yoga and uh, meditation that goes back to the early 1970s. And before that, uh, um, psychological uh, work and uh, other kinds of recreational uh, activities that uh, lead to mind expanding. Recreational. Uh, we want to hear about them. Come on. <laughs> but uh, I started the, uh, the work that is really reflected in this book uh, back in 1972 in a Kundalini yoga program. Uh, and... Uh, it uh, really blew my mind. It was, you know, this this connection, as you're saying, between the body and the mind and, and the spirit. Mm. And uh, that led me to uh, uh, finally go to a Naropa Institute in the, uh, the mid-1970s, which is a, a Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhist. Uh, now it's a university, I think. But... Uh, Studying. Were you there with Ramdas in '74? I was there with Ramdas, but not studying. And then uh, I wasn't with Ramdas. I was like, I happened to be in Boulder at that time, and I went back the following year uh, and uh, took the uh, the teachings there with uh, actually Joseph, Joseph Goldstein was uh, teaching. Oh yeah, mindfulness in, in that time, uh, like a six week uh, program, and of course Trungpa was. Uh, was the main teacher, but that was quite an interesting experience to say the least. Uh, I've also studied with um, people who are in the non-dual world. Uh, well, wait a minute, you're Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche. You didn't even mention, that's who started Naropa University. Well, Trumpa, yeah, yeah, Trumpa yeah. was the main teacher there and he was, uh, uh, you know, quite a, uh, an experience in and of himself. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we, we got to hear a little bit about that. Learning so. that, it, what, you know, teachings from him were really my introduction to uh, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, uh, Vajrayana Buddhism. And also, uh, uh, ultimately, I came to uh, Dzogchen, 
But I really you have to attribute that segue uh, to Trungpa and his teachings. But at the same time, I was uh, connected through uh, Be Here Now to Ramdas and oh, yeah. Karoli Baba. So there was this this coming together of these two streams: the uh, you know the, the Bhakti stream that uh, was in the early 1970s, mid 1970s. Uh, was happening, and uh, and then this Buddhist uh, Bajriana stuff, which is like so crisp and so clear and so uh, you know just beyond belief on that level. And the bringing of those two streams together really has influenced my life. And and you know, so I've been with other teachers uh, in the uh, particularly in the non-dual realm, um, and I. Uh, Sophie Rinpoche is the current uh, teacher that I go on retreat with. And would you uh, he's would you say non-dual with Chokni? I mean, he's like uh, you know devotional Tibetan Buddhist in my well, mind. Not, I mean, his he teaches Dzogchen, which is basically yeah. the the non-dual aspect of uh, mm. um, Tibetan Buddhism, and it is or one of the non-dual. It that's his primary teaching is the Dzogchen, but he's also a, uh, you know, a bhakti to say, you know, to, to a degree. And he uh, brings a lot of the uh, non-dual practices into daily life, into the, uh, into the uh, nature of how you deal with your own emotional experiences and, and so forth. So it's, it's that kind of, of teaching. And a lot of that is what I'm, you know, really, passing in this uh, in this book in language that uh, I think is really uh, um, meant to not have any kind of cultural baggage on it. Mm. not that the baggage is the cultural stuff is baggage but it, it it can take people away from being able to understand and uh, adapt to the uh, these teachings to uh, to their lives right right so, I, yeah. Let's go back to the bhakti Buddhism thing because that is very much what, uh, in my other hat with Love Server Member Foundation, the retreats we've been putting on forever with Ram Dass and now without him, right. that was the essence of what these retreats were. They were the bhakti Buddhist connection. And uh, it was fun with Ramdas because he would joke around with it every time he'd say soul and he'd look over at Jack Cornfield or somebody and. And he kind of wince, you know, sorry to mention that word. And they'd all laugh and we all had a good time. But the reality is more around what Neem Karoli Baba really represents. Uh, but I will say that Ramdas used to say, yeah, this, the Buddhist canon, the Buddhist purview perspective is so crystalline, clear, diamond like. It is easy to get caught in that. And many people in the West, because, you know, we are used to using our intellects much more than our hearts, uh, you know, that did. So he used to, he used to bad mouth. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, I think that that's a, uh, a distorted view of, uh, of Buddhism. That uh, you know, particularly the, uh, you know, the, the Vajrayana and Dzogchen and Mahamudra. Uh, you know the the core teachings are basically to use the intellect, use the crystal clarity of the uh, of the message as a means for going beyond the intellect. And as you're going beyond the intellect, the heart is is opened, so that compassion is the uh, is really the medium of uh, of that particular um, training. It's basically. Find out who you are through introspection, yeah. Or find out how you who you are through whatever kind of practices you need, and then see that manifest as compassion. And so the notion of uh, you know love, serving, and remembering mm -hmm. happens out of compassion. But when it's a compassion that's based on ego, it loses much of its power. So how do you get beyond the ego in the yeah. 
How do you get beyond the trap that's potentially there? Of course, yeah. that trap is there with bhakti as well. It's not it's, uh, yeah, exactly. reserved for, for yeah. strictly for uh, Dzogchen. Or, yeah, actually, non-dual. What, let's give a definition of non-dual because we say it all the time and I have people <laughs> they go, what non-dual? What, what, you know? Well, it's basically a, uh, call it a philosophical school. And it, it, as I understand it, the, uh, the basic premise is that there is a, a total, and in the absolute sense, there is no duality. Everything is simply in the absolute clarity and emptiness of uh, universal uh, space, mm. Mm. you know, but it's beyond space. It, even space is something that's not within that. So that's the absolute level. But at the same time, there's this uh, level of relative. So in the relative realm, which exists simultaneously and interspersed and, and completely melded with the, uh, uh, with the absolute, everything is appearing. Phenomena is appearing in our, uh, in our experience. And uh, the two, the absolute and the relative, coexist. So that's the underlying premise of the, of the non-dual. And that when one recognizes that the uh, relative is arising and in the absolute and falling back into it in a continuous dance and movement, then there's freedom from intellect, from ego, because basically even the witness, if you're into uh, uh, mindfulness meditation, is just another part of the phenomenon. What's yeah. beyond that? Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, in terms of the relative and the absolute, Ram. Another thing Ramdas was very famous for pointing to is, as humans, we can live on more than one plane of consciousness at the same time. You know, yeah. so, and, and there's a lot of being able to appreciate in in the duality, our humanness, etc., etc., yeah, our yeah. foibles, which Ramdas was so famous for. <laughs> For, for allowing all of us to go, oh, it's okay, we're human, it's okay. And then not forgetting the reality of the one. The exactly, but the, the reality of the one is the, not, the absolute non-dual. Mm -hmm. That's the absolute. And, uh, you know, everything else is just appearance within that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't personally see that much of a difference in the uh, uh, experience that comes from bhakti, which is, you know, finding the one and finding the one through another means. It's the same one. Mm. And it's interesting, in my experience, as I've discovered the one, you know, dropping away as much of ego as is possible, given my uh, mishagas, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I come in touch That's with... That's a Sanskrit word, body. everybody. Yeah. Right. I come in touch with, uh, with bhakti, with devotion. Yeah, yeah. So I love that you start this book out. And by the way, as you did say, George, that you really attempted to bring in some of these very substantial perspectives, shall we say, Oh yeah, philosophies in into a vernacular that is grounded and not necessary to know any fancy Buddhist terms or anything like that. So, uh, kudos on that one. Yeah, uh, but I love how you start the book. <laughs> um, are you stuck? This is like this could be an ad. You should do an ad. Are you stuck? Worried? Anxious? Depressed? Hyperactive, hypercritical, addicted, low on energy and self-discipline, ready to drop out, too scared to stop, too stressed to take a moment to relax, burning or burnt out, bored or fed up. <laughs> you, you seem to have covered all the bases there. I yeah, I figured I'd, uh, I'd put that out there as a big net. <laughs> yeah, right. 
But, you know, all of us are experiencing any one of those things at any one time. And uh, so the theory here is that there is a way. What, oh, yeah, oh, is it, what, what was the way that actually you might have mentioned a little bit where you first saw, okay, I'm all of those things and I don't know why, but I'm a big mess. And then suddenly Satori through a thing, a book, a vision, a yeah. teacher, whatever. What was it for you? Well, for me, I came to the conclusion that I was pretty messed up in you know, probably the early 1960s and, and 50s, went through psycho, psychotherapy and, and uh, that kind of stuff. But uh, when I started doing kundalini yoga, it uh, just non-intellectually put me in touch with this experience of so hatha yoga kundalini is that what we're talking well kundalini yoga is a form of hatha yoga was uh, taught by uh, yogi bhajan was uh, oh yeah yeah oh is that how you 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 heard oh wow i didn't know that it was very very um rigorous yoga like a lot of uh, breathing and kriyas and while you're holding uh, postures and so forth and that was my major breakthrough uh, just on a visceral level. And then I came in contact with Be Here Now and uh, Swami Satchitananda. I, you know, I came to New, New York. York and I, you know, went to, uh, actually went to a, uh, a darshan with Swami Satchitananda. Mm-hmm. And leaving it, I came down with this like instant cleansing i mean you know maybe today it would be called the flu or whatever it was but it was something it was just back then (laughs) it was just this amazing uh hit of Mm -hmm. getting this uh this shakti from uh from him but then i read be here now and uh that kind of synthesized all of the intellectual aspect of it with the uh, the uh, bhakti and and the buddhist and all of that stuff so that became you know a uh, a foundation for then going off and studying different philosophy uh, schools and stuff like that mm, mm. but that's that's what did it for me over a period of uh, well the kundalini yoga was almost immediate you know after doing you know, careers and stuff like well, that. Now, wait, what about the recreational aspect you mentioned before? Well, you know, rec- recreation is, uh, is is kind of a funny word. It's like if you make your recreation self-knowledge and self-awareness, then whatever you're doing becomes recreational. So there are, in, in my book, I have a, a chapter on uh, psychedelics. Mm. And uh, psychedelics, if you look at the derivation of the word, it um, has to do with mind revealing. So my interpretation is that anything that you do in the way of meditation, yoga, uh, psychological work that you're doing is to some degree mind revealing. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, now the central premise uh, with what you're doing with this book, with anything in terms of anybody, all of a sudden, wait a minute, you know, you had that inexorable experience. It could be through the psychedelic. Many, many people, of course, go that way. It happens that way or a teacher or a combination or a book or mm-hmm. or you go to a Krishnadas concert in New York there at the church and bang, what the hell is this? You know, right. kind of a thing. It happens in all sorts of different ways. Um, but the solution to all of those, uh, what you pointed to and all the different stress situations mm-hmm. that people go through, and you know, and this is the premise. It's the premise. Whenever I am around people and we're just chatting about this, that, or the other, it's how do you change that mind from believing in its thoughts and from the story that it tells you, which includes all of the habitual patterns and neurotic tendencies. And you know, talk talk about that, well, that a little that's- bit. That's a sim- simple. Okay, here we got the issue. You've you've made this yeah. wonderful list of horrors that we go through, and here we are. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea behind the book 
is that is to answer that question. Now, how do you do it? How do you get to the point where you're increasing your self-awareness and you're enabling yourself to get beyond the stories or if not get beyond the stories, at least to see them as stories? Yeah, that's it. And once you see them as stories, you're not necessarily totally free from them because getting that degree of freedom is, you know, it's a lot of work and a lot of effort to be completely free of all of your karmic baggage. So you start working by cultivating a set of concepts that are going to help you, as well as a set of physical and mental practices that are going to help you. And it, you know, there's a recap in my, uh, in the book that basically says that what you're trying to do is take the effort to let go of habits, unfounded beliefs, and the need for certainty, and to instead cultivate a mindset that reflects reality and serves you well. That mindset is based on concepts to be digested over time. Uh, it's not something that you can just turn a light on, though that might happen. It's unlikely, but... Uh, it, it can happen. Uh, but the basic mindset is one that recognizes that to the degree that you can let go, accepting whatever it is that is happening in the moment, that's what hap what's happened in the past, if you can accept and let go, and then from there, do whatever it is that seems the most effective thing to get your life on that is the core of the uh, of the teachings and how do you learn to do that you start to meditate for one thing you cultivate mindfulness but not necessarily going on retreats or uh, sitting for an hour at a time you can start by simply any moment that you remember to bring your attention to your body and to your breath and uh, just be present for that moment mm -hmm. You know, so you cultivate that kind of habit along with some posture and other kinds of things. And then you, uh, you more and more start to ask the question, who am I? Mm. And in the context of asking that question, you're also experiencing a, uh, a buy-in to the reality of continuous change in an incredibly complex system. So this is bringing together uh, concepts about the nature of, uh, of our uh, existence, the nature of our life, that we're in this movement, that we're constantly flowing in total non-determined uh, way. We, we, don't, we have uncertainty in our lives. Mm. And through that uncertainty, we're now, uh, if we accept that and let go into it, we now have the ability to reflect on ourselves, see who we are, and not be encumbered by the holding on to whatever it is that we're holding on to that is causing all of those symptoms that uh, that we mentioned before. Mm. It's kind of yeah. long-winded. And um, well, this is... It's worse than non-long-winded. It's about, uh, okay, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. Well, there is a something that is, uh, there's grace in terms of the reality of the cleanup that needs to take place to, to uh, change these habitual patterns, to uh, deal with the neurotic stuff, to deal with separation because we're born yeah. We get a name, we're separate. So it, it's, it's, it's more a matter of being in the moment. And I think some of the results of, of meditation, for instance, or listening to a talk that wakes you up a little or a psychedelic, whatever it may be, it's the integration that's important. And that integration that takes place includes a perspective that it ain't all happening at once. You are not, you know, you are just not going to turn over a new leaf and think it's right. all going to be good. Yeah, yeah, it's a process. And, and you have a nice thing in here called skillful patience, yeah. actually. I, I like that term. 
Yeah, talk yeah. about that for a minute. I think that's so important because we're Westerners. We just want to hustle ourselves into some place that we think. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we're impatient. We want things to be the way we want things to be. It's part of the, you know, the clinging nature. But this notion of patience, and, and you mentioned multiple lifetimes, that's one way of, of looking at it and recognizing that uh, chances are you're not going to be completely enlightened uh, next week, <laughs> you know, no matter what you do, though it could happen. So you take on the, you know, uh, you take on the work of, of becoming as well as possible. You know, wellness is the subtitle of this book. And, and it's not just about physical wellness. It, wellness has got uh, like eight dimensions to it, including spiritual and uh, mental and uh, physical and financial and all of that. So your, call, your goal is, how can I cultivate wellness? How can I be as well as possible given my condition? So if you take on that task, and realize that your condition is based on however many years of conditioning you've had in your life and what's happened to you and how many teachings you've had and how many uh, experiences. All of that is there. It's integrated into your being. And now what you're trying to do is eliminate the parts of it that get in the way of your being well. And giving up some of those parts, they're so integrated that you've identified with them. And because you've identified with them, getting rid of them is scary. You know, if I get rid of all of this stuff that is keeping me from being as well as I can possibly be, who am I going to be? Yeah, who's me then? Friends? (laughs) (laughs) All of that comes in. So now, cultivate patience. Cultivate the patience that comes from, uh, Brandas, I, I think, used this uh, image of a snake shedding its skin. The snake doesn't pull the skin off. And if, mm. in fact, you try to help the snake pull the skin off, you're going to damage the snake. So the snake is shedding its skin in its own time. And it's similar to what we're doing with our own situation. We're the snake. We're shedding a skin that's no longer serving us. Mm. Yeah. You know, creating uh, new patterns. So this is a very strong way and takes very little effort is to create new patterns that um, replace the habitual stuff. Now to get there, of course, you need mindful. You need to. You need to see. You need to see your self motivation. You need to see, you know, the way in which uh, your motivation goes down because it's. You think it's something that you need to do for a purpose, and when that purpose doesn't realize itself, then you give it up right away. So this is part of. Of, of the the problem, of course, with habitual patterns. Now, there is a great thing, and you do mention it, and, of course, many people have been working on this for many years. Richie Davidson, I'm talking about mm-hmm. uh, neuroplasticity and uh, neuroscience, but particularly neuroplasticity. Uh, yeah, talk about that a little bit, because that yeah. gives you hope. You can, things can change. Exactly. Yeah. Are you exactly. familiar so, with what Richie and what you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very saying? much. I mentioned it in the book. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not a neuroscientist in any way, shape, or form. But what the neuroscientists are telling us is that we can change the neural pathways that, at one time, were viewed as being permanently in place. So we can change the basic premises that we have on. Uh, how we relate to our to our lives, and that is a, a scientific reality. Now, at the same time, as you point out, changing those neural pathways is not the easiest thing in the world. It's changing behaviors. It's using the change in behavior and your change in uh, you know conceptual understanding to mm. cut new pathways. 
and you do meditation processes and uh, take on different uh, analytical meditations for uh, you know, figuring out how the mind is working. You practice who am I. You come more and more to re, in effect, reprogramming yourself in a way that is more and more likely to lead you to not have to any program. Yeah, yeah. And the exercises that we do, you know, the, whether they're physical, they're devotional, they're meditative, in the context of our uh, unity mm. is yeah. basically the means for doing that, uh, that work. And the yeah. good news is, the bad news is that it takes a while and it takes significant effort to change bad habits and create this new reality. The good news is that as the effort is expended, it gets easier and easier because you get closer to the understanding that you're creating your own stress, you're creating your own difficulties. So when you see yourself doing it, it's you stop doing it more quickly. Yeah. And then it comes up again and you, you know, so that's part of the patience to be patient enough with yourself. Yeah. I like the word allow. skillful, skillful part of patience. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, this has been a bugaboo for me, patience in my life, especially in my work life. Um, and I love skillful because to me it points to looking for a perspective that isn't what it is that you've been used to. When you even say the word patience, and I go, oh, God, I don't got a lot of that. And then you put skillful, in, and then you go, wait a minute now. So it's a, it stops for so me. So you're tricking yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I yeah. think, I think that mother, word my, is really important, actually, in all aspects. Me, huh? My mother told me it was a good thing I wasn't a doctor because I have no patience. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, yeah. now you know part of the whole. You know, we listed all of the stress items that George listed at the beginning, and uh, we, uh, you know, in inside of that all is one core operating modus operandi for us, which is anxiety. We live in that state. Yeah. And so you talk about presence. And for me, you know, we go back to mindfulness practice. By the way, if I don't say this in every podcast I do, which I do not say it, I'm saying it when it comes up in my mind, get out, everybody, and get Joseph Goldstein's mindfulness book. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> Just is the Bible of that, for Westerners in particular. I mean, his... Uh, evocation from the Satipatthana Sutras uh, is mm -hmm. just extraordinary, uh, and Joseph is extraordinary. Um, so, yeah, mindfulness, which leads us to have presence of mind, right? Where we can really look clearly at, again, I talked about it before, our motivations, right? We can look clearly at the way we push stuff away and the way we you know, heavily mm -hmm. desire, you know, all of that, uh, preferences and so on and so forth. And then, so this allows, I think you talk about self-aware and possess the power to stop, consider, decide, and act. Um, you know, self-awareness being the ability to step back. Yeah. And Ramdas called it the witness. But I think, you know, I think we have to mention here the reality of, and that's why I love what Ramdas came up with later in his life, at the end of his life, the last 10 years or something, all around um, loving awareness and allowing or, or directing people to move into the center of their chest to the whatever you want to, Buddha mind place, the mm -hmm. uh, soul place, yeah. and whatever you want to call it. Uh, and what the reality is, no matter what you call it, the reality is that there is no judgment going on. Many people who use mindfulness and do that practice and are big meditators, I have seen they are still heavily judging, particularly themselves, if not yeah. everybody else. You know, part, I think 
part of that, uh, I've, I've seen the same thing. The, uh, I think a big part of it is that people don't take mindfulness to the end. You know, if you're not mindful of the fact that you're dumping on yourself for not being as perfect as you expect to be, or you're fetching about being anxious or what have you, then you're, if you can see that, if you can witness that, and even witness the, uh, the anxiety that's coming from not being able to deal with it, if you can witness that and step back, you're now able to, uh, to let it go more and more quickly. Yeah, allow the karma to burn off for sure. Yeah, and, but I, you know, there's a couple of things that uh, the, um, this notion of the witness is extremely important. And the cultivation of a witness in a person who's beginning the, uh, you know, the mindfulness practices, you know, it, it happens almost automatically if you do the practice. At some point, some people can get trapped even in the witness. Because the witness is something witnessing something. Yeah. Behind that, I can be witnessing the witnessing but it's still witnessing. Yeah, self-reflective. And ultimately, going back into that heart space, that Buddha, you know, nature, that is completely non-conceptual. It's not witnessing anymore. That's what I understand as loving presence, loving awareness, yeah. or just bare awareness. I think the loving is important. I mean, I think what you just said is a huge trap for most of us. And the intellect is a major trap. Yes, of course, heart, you can have a trap there quite easily as well. But there's a way, that's why, back to the beginning here of uh, Buddhist and bhakti combo, right. which seems to be what, uh, this is what Neem Karoli Baba represented uh, as whatever you want, you want to call what he, yeah, yeah. the computer that he was, that's what I call him, uh, that, in other words, just made the right decisions, all the, it didn't make any decision, the right thing happened no matter what. And yet at the same time, uh, you know, we were led into two dis very, very dissimilar practices, one would think, one, of course, being bhakti yoga, and the other being the, the Buddhist path of, of uh, wisdom, the wisdom path. But and the Buddhist path is not just the wisdom path. The two components in Buddhism are wisdom and compassion. Wisdom leads to the arising of compassion. So when one becomes, you know, wise, recognizing the, the, uh, the nature of, uh, you know, the Buddha nature, when one recognizes, automatically there's the presence of compassion. But the, uh, in, the, in the Buddhist teachings, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy are three of the four divine spaces to be in. And they're non-intellectual. Yeah, I guess what I'm talking about, though, when I say the combo of the Buddhist and the Bhakti, what there, it is, and I'm talking about devotion. You know that aspect of opening up, and and you, it's a it's a du duality practice for sure. There's an yeah, object yeah. of that love, and uh, that's uh, when you combine that, so it does exist, of course, in Tibetan Buddhism. Well, the Guru Yoga is yeah. basically that. Yeah, exactly. But in in the you know in Southern Buddhism, etc., that it, that's not the case at all. And uh, I that's why I, I find this unique that Maharaji, that Neem Karoli Baba, represented this in a way that's completely unique. And, and the fact is it's carried on all these, you know, years later. What, it was the 50th anniversary of him leaving just uh, yeah. a couple of months ago. Well, I, I mean, I, I came to that conclusion through Maharaji's teachings. That was, mm. you know, how I got that 
even before studying any Buddhism. Whether it's unique or not is arguable. But the argument is moot because, you know, why argue about whether it's unique or not? Yeah, well, you know? <laughs> it's unique. Everyone is going to say, well, my thing is unique. You yeah, know? exactly. So it's just more of that BS. But it's, you know, but, I think but I, the point. I, I do think, because we've been doing these things in retreats and with this mix of people. Yeah. Ramdas, Krishnas, Jack, Sharon, Joseph, you know, all of it. And it has been very, very potent. And yeah. However, that has manifested, you know, I certainly am happy to have been a part of it, I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, I think that that's the, uh, that's the way. I mean, what I try to get across in this book is basically that uh, you need to put together the heart and the mind and the body mm. and, you know, use whatever methods are appropriate to you as long as they're valid methods. And, and you know, certainly devotion, to me, without getting into the devotional aspect, there's no way to get past the intellect. What do you mean? There's, well, the intellect can become easily a trap. You know, yeah. we're, we're trying yeah, to figure talk. it out. We're, yep. you know, like we're getting so, you know, like enthusiastic about the crystal, crystal clarity of the teachings and all of that yeah. stuff. And we start to, to, you know, to get into that and we can make some progress. But, until there's a visceral connection with the heart, it's, you're stuck in the in the head. Yeah, the visceral connection in the heart now almost absorbs the head. Doesn't mm -hmm. do away with it, but it allows the intellect to become a tool of compassion. The heart is what's leading. If the head takes over again we get problems because the head is so dualistic and so involved in supporting itself, its ego, that it can't let go. So it needs the heart. That's, that's how I'm seeing it. And, and uh, you know, for me, I came to all of this through yoga, through doing physical yoga. But then I came in contact with Hanuman. And it took me Hanuman. years. It took me, you know, many years to figure out what the, you know, what, what is that about? <laughs> a monkey, you know, and I allowed it into my, you know, into my concepts and it just blew away a lot of the, uh, you know, the information about uh, duality and non-duality. It didn't matter. I know. I know. It's yeah. so weird. I have the same thing. I mean, I went, when I went to India I was not, like Ramdas said, I was not that interested in, in the gaudy Hindu thing <laughs> with all the gods and the goddesses. I was a Buddhist, in fact. And I felt uh, very much the same way. I did, couldn't relate with all the statues and everything and all. And then, then of course, Maharaji had in all the ashrams two major things. Hanuman, mother, the uh, divine goddess. Durga, in this case, or aspects of her. And, and then I got attracted in a way that I was like, why? This is so crazy. I mean, and of course, Maharaji was saying there is no difference between Christ, Hanuman, Krishna, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I got I the all one, which is, to, which is the Buddhist, yeah, which is the non-dual. Oh, yeah, that's the, yeah, I have a story. Linda, my wife and I were in Turkey. And we visited Mary's house. You talk about the mother. So Mary mm. has, had a house after she left the Holy Land, after Christ was uh, crucified. She settled in this place in uh, near Izmir, uh, Turkey. Mm. So we go to the house. We were in the, in the area. And the busloads of people, you know, lined up to come into this small, you know, a little cabin, one-room cabin. So... Coming into the doorway, you split off into two lines. Linda's on one side, I'm on the other side. And, you know, it's like a continuous movement of people. We both, at the same time, step out of line. I'm in tears. Hmm. I'm, I, you know, like I, I don't have a great, strong relationship with Mary or Catholicism or Christianity at all. You know, totally wiped out heart-wise. Hmm. 
hmm. tears strolling, rolling down my face. And she's experiencing the exact same thing at the same time. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Well, the same thing happened to me when they, Ramdas brought Hanuman basically back to America, to Taos, where George and I have been a, a lot over the many years. And that something happened. Uh, that particular, I think it's, well, I, there's a bunch of different reasons why I think I'm so attracted to it. <laughs> But he really represents compassion. We'll, we should put up, uh, by the way, you guys are doing the show notes and producing this stuff. Let's, let's get uh, a link over to uh, the nkbashram.org and see a picture of Hun this Hanuman statue. It's extraordinary. I mean, I have no idea why I had that pull. And, and then, of course, the Hanuman Chalisa, 40 Verses yeah. in Prayer, which is another thing. Like, what? And it's beyond the intellect is exactly. the only thing that exactly. you could possibly say about this, you know. It really is. But how um, many of us want to protect our intellect? I think I have a yeah. quote in the, in the book about, uh, from Herman Hesse's. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. The cost of entry to the uh, magic uh, uh, theater yeah. is your mind. Mm, yeah, right. I remember that, right? That's like a Siddhartha, maybe, huh? Yeah. Um, I got to mention one thing because uh, uh, I don't even think you and I have talked, but I just, Duncan Trussell, you know, the podcaster, uh, mm -hmm. and I have become good friends over the years, and we uh, we just put out a, an audio book called huh? The Movie of Me to the Movie of We, which is taken, ripped off from Krishnadas, who talks uh -huh. about that in his, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're the director, the producer, the protagonist yeah, yeah. the right you even write your own reviews which are horrible actually <laughs> and he so anyhow we decided to we wanted to share ourselves as the uh, the a couple a few of the aspects of the me which is pretty much represents everybody out there the belief in the thoughts and the stories mm -hmm. and the identity, you know, Ron's why Ramdas is so great, you know, especially with his uh, psychological stuff around identity and so on, right. roles and all of it. And uh, and then we went into, okay, we've had great teachers. What did we learn that can help us transform that gigantic defense mechanism that we walk around with, right? Repulsion attraction all of it how do we do that and so we went through and it's a, it, it turned out pretty good and we're happy that sounds with it. nice yeah yeah but the thing that i'm bringing up that that you discuss in the book and not um it's actually a very short little thing but it struck me i found a talk from ramdas and i we ended the book with this an excerpt in like eight or nine minute talk mm-hmm and the talk to me and, and Duncan was, if you want to know what the methodology is down to its core about transforming that me, this is it. And what it was? Compassion and generosity. And he told this incredible story of this woman who um, every day would give some money to a homeless person and then... They became friends. And then mm -hmm. she wondered, why don't I just, you know, let him come back and can sleep in a warm place? And, and she freaked out at that thought. Right. Oh, it's going to take over my, it was all me, me. Went back to the me, yeah. me. What is, you know, what's going to happen to me? Who knows who, the, you know, on yeah. and on and on. And <laughs> anyhow, so he, he went through all of that and, uh, and and really and and you do here um, the practice the unselfish giving of something without the expe expectation of anything in return, which this yeah. woman could not. But I think to get to that place, there's some there's another level of um, self knowledge, which is basically recognizing that the part the the ego is is real and necessary. It may not be totally true in, in the fact that it exists, but it's there, it's a process. And 
getting rid of it not only is difficult, but if you got rid of your ego, you would be a lump. You know, you wouldn't really be doing anything. So you're not getting rid of it. You're learning yeah, course, to yeah. recognize what it's about and how it can take over. So wonderful the, uh, a servant and a horrible master is yeah exactly. The, so you use it as a servant, and you find that uh, um, that essential me. But even to be to practice gratitude is a, is on another level a method for confront, confronting those kinds of uh, habitual thoughts and and the ability to turn everything around to me, me, me. It's like, how do you get to that place of uh, recognizing that the ego that you are uh, experiencing is not anything solid? It's not you. Yeah. It's, you know, and I find that the, uh, the exercise of uh, who am I, you know, the inquiry, mm into the nature of uh, oneself is very important to add into the mix because mm -hmm. what it does is that, that woman that, uh, you know, that was experiencing, no, I don't want this guy in my house. She could step back, recognizing where that fear is coming from, not being attached to it, and then be in a position to say, you know, maybe it's pretty rational not to invite this guy into the house. He's <laughs> living on the street and, you know, who knows, you know, does he wash himself and all of this kind of stuff? Do I want him to live in my house? Mm. You know, <laughs> where's yeah. my compassion to me? Where's my, you know, am I grateful and, and uh, generous to myself? So, but to get to that place without making it an ego space, I think requires cutting to the core and realizing the emptiness, getting back into that heart space, finding that center then enables all of the rest. Mm. One other thing you mentioned here, I think it's a it's it's important too, because many many people embark on the path, they do the work, however it manifests, from chanting to meditation to reading holy books, uh, uh, all of it. By the way, satsang or community being right up to the very top of things that one can do. Uh, to transform oneself. So I think many people have a problem in terms of investigating themselves. Who am I being one thing? That, that, that's a very, that can be a very difficult path. Yes. You know, but... I think it, until it's done, if, until that path is taken the ability to break through is uh, limited. Yeah, exactly. But you have a great quote from Jung, and I think this applies to all of us. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. I've never heard him say that. Yeah. One does not become enlightened only by imagining figures of light, but by making the dark conscious. So I'm glad you put this in there because I truly believe that this is something we need to attend to. It's difficult, though, yes. because, as Ramdas said, if your therapist thinks you're, thinks he's a he or she is a therapist, forget about it. You've got no chance. <laughs> you know, I mean, so th these roles and reversal of roles, you know, these yeah. are all you know tough stuff. But on the other hand, it is. I've done it myself. I had a wonderful uh, therapist many years ago, and he, for instance, he wasn't very, you know, he wasn't into devotional stuff. He was a bit of a Buddhist himself, um, but even that was lightweight. You know, he was really a Jungian. Mm -hmm. He was a Jungian, <laughs> but I'd walk in, and he'd say to me, "You know, why don't we just sit and meditate with Neem Karoli Baba for a bit?" You know, he he was wide open. Right, right, and uh, I found it invaluable to be able to work through with someone who had that perspective of openness and spaciousness. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so therapy 
is put down a lot for various reasons by different uh, teachers, different practitioners, and so on, or just uh, uh, it's similar to actually, this is kind of a weird analogy, but I did a podcast with Rick Doblin, who is a head of MAPS, right? Mm-hmm. The organ, oh, famous, famous, you know, they're, they're getting psilocybin and MDA, well, oh. starting with MDMA approved by the federal government for use in therapy with PTSD, death and dying addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, so he was a friend of Ram Dass's and we were, we've done a, a couple of things together, but the first time he said to me, you know, you people that have, you know, went to the East and adopted that philosophy and, you know, became very um, committed meditators, etc., etc. Well, now you're reaching the other end of the spectrum here where, uh, you know, he said it might be a nice idea if you... Uh, did some MDMA sessions because it will remind you of the interconnectivity of all. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, that is not a bad idea. And similarly, to, uh, to cut out the possibility of using therapy uh, to get at who we really are and to distinguish ourselves from uh, the identity of the ego, basically. Yeah, I, think I, it's, you know. I think eliminating anything that could be used as a, in, you know, as a skillful means is, is just a sign of uh, buying into a, uh, into a belief that is baseless or a bias that's, you know, that really is getting in the way. I, I spend a lot of time in this book, not a lot of time, but there are a couple of chapters on how to deal with beliefs. So anytime mm. there's a, you know, something that's going to change your behavior, it's usually based on a belief of some sort. So I'm not going to go for therapy because I believe that therapy is yeah. useless and gets in the way of whatever or vice versa. What's the core of that? What's the base? basis for that kind of decision and is it clever is it going to help you to eliminate all psychotherapy because you know some guy from uh, bhakti land uh, says it's not good doesn't seem to make sense <laughs> the guy from bhakti land. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so i think any prejudice yeah. that uh can be used as a means for avoiding the hard work of looking at yourself Looking at yourself is difficult. You know, we both, you know, completely agree with that. But if you don't do it, you're not going to get it past the, all of those anxieties and things that yeah, are... Yeah, uh, you want to go through the list again? Yeah. Worried, anxious, <laughs> depressed, hyperactive. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get past those unless you look at yourself and you take a hard look and are willing to give up, to cut away all of the things that are causing those symptoms yeah and you got to get look the truth is you got to get really down (laughs) from being involved with all of this anxiety having that in your life on a day-to-day hour-to-hour horrible basis i mean it's going to lead it will i'm just going to get it that will lead to an intention on one's part to do the things that help extricate ourselves exactly Period. But at the same time, one of the things that I, I try to point out is that you don't have to go for the, uh, you know, for the full enlightenment. <laughs> you know, it's like these same techniques, the same uh, um, concepts and methods lead you to be able to reduce your stress, to moderate and manage your stress, as opposed to completely eliminating it all, mm. you know. So, yeah, no, uh, no, that's all. Yeah, I mean, that's us a, in the West. We're going to yeah, get enlightened. A, We're going to do this shit for a while. We'll be enlightened. It, you know, yeah. it's it's just more BS. Yeah. So, you know, a person who's not into being, who doesn't believe that you can be enlightened can still make use of a process that's going to free them from unnecessary suffering. 
Well, why think not of, meditate and yeah, you know right. get to the place where you can be a little bit more distant and you know generate uh, some degree of kindness and understanding for other people, so you can be better at your job. You know, emotional intelligence is cultivated that way, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the person is looking to uh, become enlightened. You no, know, I mean, what does His Holiness the Dalai Lama say all the time? It's not about any of that. It's about he and he says kindness is my only yeah. religion. It's yeah. about being exactly. kind. It's about being compassionate, love. Exactly. That's what the yeah. Think of enlightenment, and you know, lighten up is more. Lighten up is get. better. Yeah, yeah. Better. that's what we can better. do. Yeah. Nam Kainorbu, who's another one of my teachers, he's a, mm. uh, a Zogchen teacher, mm. talked about uh, his. A lot of his students wanted to uh, become enlightened, so he referred to that as getting to Hawaii. but they get to california (laughs) california is really nice you know they they learn how to do all of these things that make them calm and peaceful and you know there's sunshine there and all of that they never get to hawaii (laughs) (laughs) that's funny i love that and there's nothing wrong with california if that's you know (laughs) california okay (laughs) um I want to go back to one last thing here because we're running out of time. Um, as if we have, we have all the time in the world, but in What's the, time? In the <laughs> you know, area of podcasts. Not even that's true. Joe Rogan. I don't know if you know who. Do you know Joe who Joe? Rogan, Joe sense, yeah, well, he's the biggest podcaster in the uh-huh. planet. Um, he does them for three hours. I'm like, three hours? He goes on for three hours? Three hours. Talk Wow. Yeah. Does he have bathroom breaks? Uh, I don't know. I hadn't asked that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's got like that ES thing, you know, where the guy has a bag. Because right. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't let you go. Just a so catheter. Uh, oh, boy. Devotion. So here's this quote. This is a great way to go. The whole point about devotion, not blind faith or blind devotion, and we'd have a couple of chapters on what he means about that. Mm-hmm. But complete devotion. I think he's, re- shall we just say he's referring to what you and I have been speaking to in this mix of bhakti and Buddhism, yeah. I think, right? The, so um, the whole point about devotion, complete devotion, is that ego cannot take part in it. <laughs> right. How great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, wonderful. Um, Thanks, thanks a lot, Balaram. George? Thank you, yeah. um, Everybody, uh, the book will be uh, linked up in the show notes along with, uh, we won't forget, Joseph Goldstein's (laughs) mindfulness book. And I don't know, you may have a couple of other references. You can send them along for people to help them out with this. It would be great. And... uh, yeah. Okay. Fun time talking about this stuff. But, I mean, it is great. The, you, you put it in, as I said, you really made it grounded. And, and that's a wonderful well, that, that was my intention to, uh, yeah. you know, to make it available to uh, people who weren't uh, familiar with the uh, Eastern teachings yeah. and also people who were familiar but uh, were getting caught up in the, uh, in the cultural aspect of it and perhaps... Missing the uh, you know the day to day moment to moment wellness aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, very important. Um, especially, most especially, we just turned the corner of two thousand twenty four. Yeah, and we have a lot of you know intense, intense activities in this world that are causing tremendous suffering. Not to mention what we've done with the environment that's causing more suffering. And uh, so, yeah, we were in interesting times, as uh, the old curse uh, says. Oh, yeah, beware of interesting times. Actually, I heard there was a Chinese uh, thing uh, that, um, what was it? It had to do with... um, what is happening in these grand movements, which we seem to be in, 
A, a yes, lot of it yes. is, of course, I mean, it's, it's, it's of course around the environment and what's going on. And it's also around the polarization that we're in worldwide yeah. and, and some ignorance on the part of some of these people that are creating this kind of suffering. And so, yeah, it's... Uh, the apocalypse nears. Yeah, right. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, but there's more fuel for the uh, for the work of self-awareness. You know, it's like the more stressful it gets, the more yeah. need there is to find that center. Yeah. And it's not just for me, me. It's like, there yeah, is the yeah. we, and we need to think about that. Absolutely. If we can, uh, Actually, Ramdas's thing was around, yeah, fix your heart and then you have an opportunity to share that and have some influence in terms of the social action that you exactly. would want to do. Yeah. Exactly. Fix the me, me, so we can get to the we, we. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> oh, God. All right, great to see you. Yeah, and, nice to uh, see you. Thanks. Hopefully this was good thing for us to do. It's, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's nice to no. talk about these things. Yeah, no, it's great. We'll see you next time on Mind Rolling. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And, of course, we have the plethora of podcasts on that network, and, and, of course, including Joseph Goldstein, who we've been mentioning, or I have been mentioning a lot. So, so is uh, George. Uh, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.